0: Anyway, if you, if you came in late or something, my name's Kyle, I'm the pastor, and I want to say thank you so much for being here. We're, we're glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to continue in our Advent series. Uh, so we are. this is week 3 of Advent. Advent is, uh, it means coming or arrival. This is uh, the time that is set aside in the traditional church calendar as a way to reflect on Christ, reflect on His first coming, His first arrival, His first advent, when He came as a babe in a manger. And then it also allows us to, as we, as we look back, there is a time in this where we begin to look forward. We begin to anticipate the coming of Christ again, where He'll come as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, uh, where He'll establish uh, His kingdom with the new heaven and new earth. And, and so just a fascinating time that, that we get to look forward to. But it gives us great hope. It it, it fe- um, sorry it, it strengthens our faith. It gives us uh, a tremendous amount of joy. And, and And then there's this peace that gets announced with it also. And so today I want to talk about the peace. I'm sorry. The joy that we experience. Next week we'll talk about peace, but today I want to talk specifically uh, about joy. And so when we talk about looking back, we did this in week one. We uh, we looked back at the prophecies of God over the course of the four thousand years or so before Christ is born. We looked at what God was promising to do, and then we looked at Luke chapter one, where the birth is. Uh, where, or where the angel Gabriel makes his announcement to Mary that she will conceive a son, that she'll give birth to Jesus, and that this will be a Holy Spirit conception. It won't come of a man. Uh, and in that, what we saw is that God absolutely keeps His promises. God can be trusted over and above anything else in this world. That, that, that He, uh, because of Him, we have great hope in this life if we are believers. If we are trusting Him, if we're following Him, we can trust that He's good, that He keeps His word. And so we got to see all that. And then in week two, we looked at Mary's song. Uh, uh, Mary's song. And so what we saw there was Mary's faith on display. We just talked about the faith of a believer. But one thing we said was that in order to live a faithful life for Christ, you do not need great faith. You only need faith in a great Savior. And, and so we were encouraged then. We were strengthened then. In our faith. And today I want to talk to you about the Christian's joy. The joy that we have. The joy uh, that, that we are given. But joy is not separate. These things are not separate from one another. They make up uh, the totality, if you will, of what Christ has done in coming to earth. And dying for us. And being resurrected. So we, have, we do have hope. We, we do have faith. We do have joy. We will see uh, next week how we have peace with God. These things are not separate. Joy is the expression of a life lived uh, by faith. It's the expression of hope in Jesus Christ. It's the expression of these things. It's the way a Christian uh, ought to live. Your joy is the reason behind what, uh, what Christ says and what Christ does. It is your joy. In John 15, 11, he says this. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Praise God. So Jesus Christ wants our joy to be full. He wants our joy to be complete, as we see in 1 John 1. He says, I write these things to you so that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants your joy to be full. So let's pray before we get into this and ask that the Holy Spirit would do that in us, that He would make our joy full in Christ today. Amen? Amen. Father, we love You. We are um, amazed. Uh, we, we are in awe as we, as we stand before you, as we hold these books in our hand, which uh, may feel like a book full of a bunch of words. It, it, of course it is, but it's also more than that. It's your word to us, to our hearts, to our minds today, to change us, to transform us. That, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can take the words from this and you can do something in us that will cause new life in us because our joy to be complete as we see today. So Father, help us to trust your word. Help us to, to see Christ in these things today. Help our joy to be full today. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. So I just want to read uh, our text today, the narrative of the birth of Christ, Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. I want to read this to you and then I'll take a few minutes and we'll walk through what it means for us today. So Luke 2 verse 1 to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, meaning they were engaged to be married, uh, who was with a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. The first thing I want you to write down today if you're taking notes, uh, they're there in your worship guide if you're visiting today, you can flip that thing over and there's notes on the back. First thing you write down is this: If you trust, if your trust is in you alone, then you have reason for great fear. If your trust is in you alone, then you have reason for great fear. There's a common theme throughout the Bible concerning God's glory and our fear. You'll see it in Genesis. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament. You'll see it here even into the New Testament and beyond, when when God's glory shows up, man becomes afraid. When God's glory shows up, mankind becomes afraid. Here here are a few examples. In Genesis chapter three, immediately after the fall, or, or sorry, immediately after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, they hear God coming and they hide themselves. And when God calls to Adam, He responds with what? He says, I heard you coming, and I hid myself because I, was, I am afraid, that because I am naked. When Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God's glory in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. In Luke chapter 1, we see when the angel appears to Zechariah, announcing the birth of John the Baptist to him and Elizabeth, it says, that Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. When Gabriel, in God's glory, appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1 also, we see her become greatly troubled, it says there. She's afraid. And finally, when the angel appears here singing, uh, sorry, shining with God's glory, these shepherds are filled with great fear. Why are they afraid? Why, why does God's glory strike fear in mankind? Well, I think that we can take our clue from Adam and Isaiah. In both of the instances in Adam and Isaiah, what we see is it's their sin that is being, that they're made keenly aware of when, when the glory of God appears. So when they see the presence of God, they see the presence of His glory, and they see their sin up against the presence of God's glory, it strikes great fear in them. For Zechariah, for Mary, and the shepherds, sure, the, the sudden presence of an angel would startle us. It's, it's kind of like when I'm hiding out in the hallways and Jasper comes around a corner and I jump out and scare him. It's, it's startling. Or when I do it to Tasha or Mandy, it, it startles them, right? It's, it's a lot of fun around here. Or, or for me, when I'm at home and I'm walking in a dark house and I come around a corner and I'm looking down my hall and there's my three-year-old standing at the end of the hall like the shining did something to me, right? <laughs> I see a kid at the end of a hall, I, I'm terrified. It's all of a sudden, i just jump. Or when you wake up and there's a kid standing beside your bed, it's like, that's not supposed to happen. It's unnerving, all right? So we're startled by the sudden appearance of things, absolutely. But I don't think that's great fear. That's great startling, Right? there's a great fear that happens when something greater comes upon you, when something greater happens to you, and that greater thing causes great fear. So what we see here is that when God's glory appears, we become very aware, we become very keen, our senses are heightened to the gulf between us and Him, to, to to the chasm that exists between my righteousness and the righteousness of God. I begin to see my sin for what it is because I stand in the midst of perfection. I don't stand in the midst of perfection anywhere else until I stand before God. Amen? He is perfection. And so He makes me keenly aware of the gulf between my righteousness and His. In other words, I become very aware of my sin. I become very aware of God's perfection. Therefore, what we see in in each story is just amazing. God announces good news about His intervention for mankind's sin. It's on that basis that the angel instructs the shepherds, do not be afraid. When the angel says, do not be afraid, what the angel is saying is this, is that if you're trusting in you alone, then you have reason for great fear. But I've got another message for you today. The angel does not appear and say, fear not. For, I behold, or, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For if you will work really, 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 really hard to not be such a doofus and to pick yourself up by your own shoelaces so as to not sin against a perfectly holy God, then you will be saved. That's not what the angel says. The angel doesn't appear and say that because if the angel were to say that, it would not be good news of great joy because you and I cannot pick ourselves up by our own shoelaces. We cannot work really, 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 really hard to not be a doofus when it comes to God's righteousness and our sin. It's just not possible. So the angel would be lying to say such a thing. You and I can never do enough, be enough, gain enough, buy enough, sell enough to gain salvation. It's just not possible. On our own, we have reason to fear because we will always be faithless. We will always be joyless. We will always be troubled in heart. This is who we are as human beings. When we stand before God... We are faithless, we're joyless, we're troubled. But the gloriously bubbling over, shooting through the top of the lid good news of Christmas is that is that Christmas is for the faithless. It's for the joyless, it's for the troubled. If you are weary, if you are messed up, if you are broken, then Christmas is for you, my friend. And it's only when we realize our weariness. It's only when we realize our messed upness, if I can make up a word. It's only when we realize our brokenness about ourselves and that we run to Jesus, clinging to Him in belief, trusting Him as our Savior, that we can then come, as the song says, as the faithful, the joyful, and the triumphant. It's only then. Jesus is our way. He's the only way. And so Christmas is both bad news and good news for us. It's both bad and good. The bad news of Christmas is that Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die because our sin has separated us from God. Jesus being born is God's indictment on humanity as not being good enough. Do you understand that of Christ if anyone could live perfectly, then Christ doesn't have to come. So God indicts all of us as sinners fallen short of His own glory by sending Jesus for us. Praise God He does it. It's the most loving thing He could have done. But it's bad news for us that we're not getting in under our own merit. We're not getting in under our own doings. It's just not happening. So, so it's bad news and that Jesus is born to die. It's bad news and that our sin has separated us from God. And now we're aware of this. But there's no other way to get us to God except through Jesus Christ. This is it. So the bad news is that you and I, apart from Christ, are sinners. We're separated from God forever. Therefore, Jesus must die. He must die. But the gloriously good news of Christmas, the gloriously good news of great joy that is announced here is that Jesus was born to die. is is that a Savior has come, that His death, His resurrection makes salvation possible for all who believe in Him. Amen? That's the gloriously good news. And so, if your trust is in you alone, then there's cause for great fear, absolutely. But, if your trust is in Christ alone, then there is reason for great joy. If you're taking notes, if your trust is in Christ alone, then you have reason for great joy. angel comes on the scene and announces, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, which means Messiah, our Lord. I've got a question for you. Who of you, when starting a book, would would pick up a book, you would turn to just a random page in the book, you would, you would read a random sentence, and after you read the sentence, you would walk away saying, I read that book, or I know what that whole book is about. Who of us would do something like that? Nobody. Right? Nobody's going to pick up a book and, and just turn to a random page and read a random part of it or a random sentence out of it and think, oh yeah, I know what that book's talking about. I get its message. Or, or walk away proclaiming, I've read that book. But what happens is, is we treat God's Word this way. In much the same way, we'll pick it up and we might fool around with a, a sentence or two of it. And we might think about a sentence or two of it, but we'll never fully try to understand or grasp the scope of what the book is trying to say. The story that it's pointing us toward. That from, from Genesis 1-1 to, to the end of Revelation, there's a story unfolding It's the story of God's redeeming mankind who has broken God's law, gone against him, rebelled him, and God is making a way for mankind to be at peace with him again. God is making a way for the joy of man to be restored once again. This is the story of our Bible. It's the story of God's redemption. And so God has written it down in this book, which has 66 individual books in it, and they're all telling that one story. Now, the reason I bring that up is not to make us feel bad about Bible reading, though all of us could do better. But I bring it up because when we read Luke 2, 1-12, we see the God of the Bible displaying His redemption story masterfully. I mean, we see it, An amazing, just an amazing picture of God's story of redemption. So let me walk you through just a few things that we read in these few verses that are just absolutely baffling. Number one, God causes a virgin woman to become pregnant. Like, that's never happened, right? Not again, not before. It's amazing. Then, He does it, with a woman who is betrothed or about to be married to a man named Joseph who is from the lineage of David, which fulfills multiple prophecies about the family tree that Jesus would come from. Then, God puts it into the heart of Caesar Augustus to send out a decree that all should be registered you understand that God is he's he's moving world events to to make the redemption story happen this is fascinating because what happens is is when the decree goes out Joseph has to make a trip Joseph and Mary are going to travel back to Bethlehem for their registration which is amazing if you remember the prophecy in Isaiah chapter five verse two, which says that there would be a baby born in Bethlehem, which would be a ruler. It's the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens. While they're there, with no motel to rest in, no place to lay their head, Mary gives birth to Jesus in a quiet, humble way, lays him down in a manger. And we have to understand that across roughly 4,000 years, God orchestrates events, God moves people to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, His Son, the Savior of the world. That is absolutely fascinating. But here's why it's important. It's it's important to see that God is big. He's he's massive. and, And He is in control of everything. He's sovereign over all things. Amen? It's hard to understand. It's maybe even harder to believe, but it's true. And so we have to see it for this reason, so that we understand that the God who moves world events also cares for small people too. He's caring for small people. God uses Mary. God answers the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth. God... um, makes the announcement in magnificent fashion to some rough and rowdy shepherds who are just tending their flock by night, who just happen to be in the area. God is moving in the details of your life also. God is at work in the details of your life also. The God who moved heaven and earth to bring us Jesus is most certainly interested in your joy he's he's most certainly interested in your life your soul your eternity that is exactly why he sends jesus god knows that you and i will never be satisfied he knows that you and i will never be full of joy until we trust jesus as our savior if you'll remember ecclesiastes when we looked at it just a few months ago that was the message of ecclesiastes right That everything is vanity of vanities. That nothing fulfills. Sure, go and enjoy it, but understand that those things are just pictures of the glory to come. That it's God who fulfills us. It's God who sustains. It's God who satisfies. It's in Him that our joy will be full. Not in the things of this world. That is the good news of great joy. It's this, that a Savior has been born. But it isn't just the birth of Christ that causes joy. It can't be if just by being or or, i'm sorry just by being born jesus wouldn't have been the savior just by being born it wouldn't accomplish what needed to be accomplished there needed to be an atonement there needed to be an end to the old testament sacrificial system which could not be satisfied in any bull or dove or goat it had to be satisfied in a man but you and i weren't going to do it you and I couldn't stand as a perfect, spotless lamb before God. We couldn't lay on an altar and be slaughtered in that way. But death was coming for us, no doubt. God sends Jesus. If Jesus is to be a Savior, He must die for His people. He must. Otherwise, it's no saving of anything that would be beneficial for eternity. Friend, when you place your faith in and your trust in Jesus, when you cling to Him in belief and you follow His commands, you're building your joy on an immovable foundation, something that a bad test result from a doctor cannot take away from you, something that the death of a loved one cannot rob from you, something that losing your job tomorrow morning cannot steal from you eternal joy joy established in something that is far greater than anything else on this earth far greater than any circumstances which you can just move and change which are transient. and what we'll begin to see is that god is moving in all of those things for our joy every one of them is being used to establish you further in his joy to establish you further in your faith, in your hope, and in your trust. Pastor by the name of Garrett Kell said this He said, If God can use the greatest injustice of history, which was the death of his perfectly righteous son, for the greatest good in history, which is the salvation of sinners for his glory, then we can trust him to use whatever evil and injustices we face today for our joy amen he can be trusted and that is the foundation of our joy is that god can be trusted that that he is using these things it's it's not that our lives are perfect and that nothing goes wrong it's it's not That we simply ignore bad things and only pay attention to the good things it's not that we uh, lock ourselves in our room and say we're never coming out again or that we wrap ourselves in a bubble and become bubble boy that that's not what gives us joy that's not how we maintain our joy that we maintain our joy by the fact that our joy is based upon one who is sovereign over all the events of the world That our joy is based upon one who has conquered the evil of sin and death once and for all. That our joy is based upon one who has made eternal life available to all who would believe in Jesus. When your joy is otherworldly, it cannot be stolen by the evil in this world. Jesus is the good news of great joy for all people because He has conquered the worst fear imaginable. The fear of dying and standing in the glory of God without the covering of Christ. The worst fear imaginable is to stand before God's glory in my own righteousness, in my own sin. Now we may think it's something else. We may be deceived that it would be something else, like losing my job or losing a loved one or losing my own life. The worst fear imaginable is to stand before the Lord one day in all His glory with no covering. With no Savior. But that fear, that fear has been taken away in Christ. And if it's been taken away in Christ, then surely we need not fear the lesser things. Or as Jesus put it, do not worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. Do not make plans for tomorrow, for tomorrow is not promised. If the Lord wills, then we'll go there. But to trust, to believe, to seek God and His righteousness above all else. And that when worry does enter our hearts, as Philippians 4 6, most assuredly it tells us it will. And rather than worrying about everything, we pray about everything. And that we trust that the God who gives a peace that passes, surpasses all understanding will give that peace to us in that moment. And when we don't get it after praying the first time, we pray again. We keep knocking on the door of Christ and saying, I want that peace. The same is true for joy. God gives joy to His people. Let us knock in prayer. Let us beat on the door of God in prayer, begging for joy that we not be sent away empty. The message of Christmas is fear not for a Savior has come. Which as we see now means that God is ruling the world for the greatest good of His children. He's meeting every need for the greatest good of His children. But new life, I think we we need to understand something. A pastor uh, by the name of Ray Ortland writes this. He says, joy is not a mood spike. So when we talk about joy, we're not talking about all of a sudden I'm just happy. Praise God, I woke up, it's my birthday. I'm happy today. It's the Lord's day. I get to go worship today. I'm happy today. It's, it's not just based in circumstances. It's not a mood spike. That's not joy. That's not true joy. The, the Bible says that we are to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. There, there are moments of sadness. But joy still goes unwavered. Joy doesn't go anywhere. He says, Joy is not a mood spike or a personality type. Some of you are like, Well, I, you know, I'm just a negative person. I just don't know how to be positive like that. It's not about a personality type, it's about, it's about a person, it's about Christ. So joy is not a mood spike, it's not a personality type. He says joy has and deserves to have a commanding moral authority over us. Meaning, whatever might be happening in our lives at any given moment, we can be joyous. We can be joyful. You see, Jesus gives us His joy so that our joy may be complete that joy may be full no matter what happens in this life you and I as believers in Christ Jesus can be confident that God is working together for our good for our joy according to Romans eight twenty eight. that all these things are working together for our good amen let me, let me say it again just to see if you believe it Jesus gives us His joy, so that our joy may be complete, no matter what happens in our lives, in this life. You and I, as believers in God, can be confident that God is working it together for our good, for our joy. Amen? In verse 20, what we see, it says that after the shepherds had gone to see Jesus, we, we see this, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So after the shepherds saw the angel, and the angel says, go and here's what you're going to find. And they go and test that out. They go and see, it says. They see Jesus. They see that a Savior has been born. They found the sign that He would be uh, laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. They go and see that. It says that they returned glorifying God, praising God for all that they had seen as it had been told to them. So the shepherds go, they see Jesus, they believe in Jesus, their lives are magnificently transformed by this thing that's happened to them. But then, here's what we don't want to miss as Christians: but then they go back to their ordinary, mundane lives. But when they do, they bring joy. They, they bring this glorifying and praising God spirit with them. They're praising Him. They're glorifying for what He had done in them and what He was going to do in many others. They believed the message. But before their encounter with Jesus, they were filled with fear. Afterwards, they were full of joy. Friend, again, if, if your trust is in you alone, you have reason for great fear. But if your trust is in Christ alone, then you have reason reason for great joy. And your ordinary, mundane life becomes extraordinary and meaningful. As it becomes full of Jesus' joy, as it becomes a life now that becomes a tool in its mundaneness, in its ordinariness, it becomes extraordinary and meaningful. That I get to go back into my 9 to 5. I get to go back into my regular life. I get to go back to my wife, to my children. I get to go back into all the things that God had arranged already and live as Christ would have me to live in that. Full of His joy. Proclaiming that God is good. That He's worthy of glorifying. That He's worthy of praise. It transforms everything. It takes my ordinary mundane and makes it extraordinary and meaningful. It's the beauty of what God is doing in our hearts, what He does in our lives. We are transformed. Maybe you ask then, how do we cultivate the joy, Kyle? How do we build joy in our lives? Well, for that, I, I I have tried over the years of my life, Many different methods. I've tried arranging circumstances in the way that I think they ought to be arranged. It didn't go very well, as you might imagine. I've I've tried chasing different jobs. I, I chased different fields in college. I I tried, um, I, I've tried to use Patricia as my source of joy. <clears throat> There's been moments where I've tried to use my kids as a source of joy. That's devastating. (laughs) Toddlers are so brutal. (laughs) It's not until I look at the words of this Bible and begin to see God moving the foundations of the earth so that a baby could be born to be my Savior. It's, it's not until I dive into the letters to the, the churches, to I look into the Gospels, it, it, it's not until I begin to see the story unfolding that joy strikes my heart. As I begin to realize, you know what? Everything's going to be just fine. Because the God who moved the events of the world, the God who moves people to accomplish His will is doing the same for me now. That, according to Romans 8.28, He is actively working together all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. If I can't believe that, then I've got no reason for joy in my life. But if I can believe that, if I can trust that, I've got every reason to believe that God wants my life to be full. He wants it to be complete. And that my joy may be full also. Amen? So, if we're to ask, how do we cultivate joy? Gosh, I don't know. (laughs) I'll take a stab at it. I'll tell you what works for me, what seems to work for thousands of years now, as we look over the life of Christians from the early church all the way up to now. It's to believe in Jesus in such a way that you glorify and praise Him in all that you say and do. I don't know how to distill it any simpler than that, or any more meaningful than that. I'm sure someone can. But it's to And really, I could make it simpler by just saying it's to believe in Jesus. But I wanted to add the other so that we might see how. In such a way that I glorify Him. In such a way that I praise Him. In such a way that in all that I say and do, I want God to get the glory, not Kyle. I'm, I'm I'm a pretty terrible glory manufacturer when it comes to manufacturing glory for myself but if I can shine the light on Christ Jesus and the way that I tend to my kids, the way that I raise them, the way that I love Patricia, the way that I love you guys, the way that I talk, the way that I joke with people, the way that I laugh, the way that I smile, the way that I cry when things are hard, God can get glory in all of those things. I was thinking earlier as we were singing I, just, I came in today really stressed but I don't know why but as I'm singing it's, God just simply reminds me that, that in singing the praise of God my attention is redirected from my, my grossness my immediateness, if you will, the things that are happening immediately around me to something bigger that my attention is redirected. And when my attention is redirected, my joy finds a foundation that it can actually stand on. And so I say we sing, we sing loud. Man, crank the volume in your car on your way to work instead of listening to NPR or whatever you're listening to. Throw on your favorite worship album your favorite worship song, and just crank it so loud you can't even hear yourself sing, and just sing it as loud as you can. Redirect your attention to believe in Jesus in such a way that you're wanting to glorify and praise Him in all that you say and do. But I think first and foremost, we have to look at the Scriptures. First and foremost, we have to get to know the God who gives all joy. We we must, guys. And so, let me just read some scriptures over here about joy, and you can just listen to them, and then I'm going to finish. Philippians four four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Psalm sixteen eleven, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures. Forevermore. Psalm 118 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 4:7, you have put more joy in my heart than they uh, that have than they have when their grain and wine abound. Psalm 71:23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. Psalm 126.5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Some of you need to write that down and think about it every day. Life's just feels like it's murdering you right now. Write down Psalm 126.5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And believe it, brother. Believe it, sister. You're, you're weeping you're mourning oh man it turns to dancing it turns to shouts of joy psalm thirty three twenty one. 21 for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name it my heart is glad when it trusts him psalm 30 verses 11 through 12 you have turned for me my mourning into dancing You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing Your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to You forever. So when Satan's hurling every scheme he has at you, know that even what Satan does, God has limited. And that all of those things, all of that darkness will be turned to mourning. All of that weeping will be turned to gladness. When I find myself prostrate in my floor, crying over some events that have transpired, I can trust that soon I will stand dancing with joy before the Lord. And I can trust that it's good. Psalm 5.11, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Proverbs 10.28, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. There's hope in God that brings joy. Proverbs 1722, the last one I want to read to you. A joyful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Let us be joyful today. Because God is worthy of our joy. Nothing else is, but God is. God is worthy of our joy. Would you stand to your feet this morning?